Well, I want to be sure to, to thank you again on behalf of Kim and myself, just um, the pastor appreciation. You know, we were hit and miss in October with uh, family health issues back in Chicago, but we finally made it back. And when we got back, you guys had all gotten things together for us to, uh, for pastor appreciation. So thank you for the, the, the cards and the gifts and especially the, the kind words uh, of encouragement. And it's one of the things that I love about our church family is, and I've said this a lot, but it's, it's true, uh, I, I just love seeing our church family doing what God's called us to do, and that is sacrificially care for each other. And be a family, be people who support each other and encourage each other. And Paul told the church in Colossae, because they were doing the same thing, and, but he was saying, I want you and challenge you to abound still more and more. And so it's my prayer for our church is that we would continue to demonstrate that love and that care for each other and that the Lord would continue to bring more people to our church uh, and honor us with the ability to, to love them and care for them and share with them the truth from God's Word, which is what we're looking at this morning. And the, and the cool thing is, um, is even during this time of COVID, our church continues to grow. Uh, and so we're just thanking the Lord for that. Um, and for those that are first-time attenders or recently attending, we want to thank you for coming back. And uh, if you haven't met me, my name is Harold. I'm the, the campus pastor here at the church. Um, don't be afraid. It's, I know it's kind of a scary look, but it's what I got to work with. Someone said, hey, nice shirt this morning. I said, well, it takes a lot to, to make this look good, you know, so trying to get some nicer shirts. Anyways, we're in a series, starting a series called We Are the Church, and looking at this idea of what it means, uh, of the fact that we are the church. Now, in, in Greek, the word church is ekklesia, and it's, it means those who are called out from, and it can refer to a bunch of different things, but biblically, it's referring to those who have been called out by Christ from the world, in other words, not um, doing life the way the world does it, not for the purposes the world does it, doing life differently than the world does it. And the world really is a very self-focused world. It cares about self and, uh, and making sure self is taken care of, which is why we have so many of the problems we have in our world. But it's call, calling us out as, as a church uh, to follow Christ, to be in relationship with Christ, and then to live life, do life the way he says to do it. Now, to be part of the church is, uh, or how a person becomes part of the church, and speaking in general, is that they believe two things, primarily. They believe that Jesus is God, and that he died on the cross to save them from their sins. So that knowing that Jesus is God... He's the only one who could take care of our sin problem that we have. And so he did that when he died on the cross. That's how a person gets into the church, if you want to call it that. So as a church, we have truth. Um, we're going to be looking at four Ds. Now, um, our, we have four Ds that we use as kind of setting up what are we all about? And what are we doing as a church family? And the first one is discover truth. So we're helping, this is a compass, I was saying to the first service, you probably should have an N somewhere, or a C, you know, something like that on there, C for Christ. Um, be like, there's no directional with a C on it, well, C for Christ. But we want to help people, first and foremost, discover truth. And so we use a compass as kind of representing that, and we're going to be talking about uh, deciding on Jesus, we're going to be talking about demonstrating change, and we're going to talk about deploying for others over the next three weeks. 
but we have the truth. And in the passage that we're going to look at today, it's John chapter 18, verse 28. So you can turn there now if you'd like. If, you, if you're using the Bible there in the seats, it's page 1083. Jesus says in that passage that he came, he was born, and he came to earth to testify to the truth. And so those who have placed their faith in Christ, those who are part of the church, we have the truth that the world needs. And again, the truth about ultimately how the world was created, who God is, who mankind is, men and women, who we are, about sin and about evil. We understand how uh, to live life in the best way possible. Most importantly, we have the truth about what salvation is, how salvation is gained. And when I say that, I'm not saying that we somehow are better than anybody else. It's not about us. Because the truth that Jesus offers is for anyone who would believe him. We just happen to be a group of people, those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we just happen to be a group of people who believe that, and therefore we're the church. And because we have Christ as our Savior and Lord, we therefore have the truth, and we have a responsibility to represent that truth, to share that truth. And again, the next, uh, today and the next three weeks we're going to be talking about, about that. Numerous times throughout the gospel, Jesus claimed to be truth or to be the truth or to have the truth. In John 18, the reason why we're looking at that is because to me, anyways, it looks, this is like, um, I don't know, uh, the most dramatic, maybe, of the times that he said this. Because if you're familiar with the story of Jesus Christ, is at the end of his ministry, he's been arrested by the Jewish religious leaders. They have taken him to um, Pilate, who is the Roman governor. And if there's going to be a time where he reveals what is the truth, in other words, if he's not God, and if he's not the Savior of the world, now would be the time to say, oh, just kidding, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just pulling your leg, people. Because Pilate was the one who had the ability, the power, to put Jesus on the cross, to kill Jesus Christ. So if, if he was not the Christ, now would be the time to say, I was just kidding. But he doesn't. He ends up saying this. We pick it up in verse 28. It says this, Now they, speaking of the Jewish religious leaders, led Jesus from Caiaphas, which is one of the, is the top dog, okay? he was the high priest guy, into the praetorium. This is where Pilate lived, the Roman governor. And it was early. So right there, you know, this isn't a good, t- good thing for Jesus, right? Woke Pilate up, hadn't had his coffee yet. You know, I know some of you guys, you know, hey, early morning, we love it. Most of you are understanding probably what Pilate's feeling right now. And they, even, and they themselves did not enter. By the way, that joke went over really bad in the 9 o'clock service too. So, done with jokes. And they themselves did not enter the praetorium, so they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Now, what's going on there? This is just a little side note. This is a, um, a point that uh, you don't have to pay me for because I'm um, giving you an extra point. But just really quickly, why wouldn't they enter into the governor's uh, office or the governor's building? Well, he was a Gentile, he was a non-Jew, and they were Jews. What had happened over the centuries, the Passover, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, 
the Jews were in, in slavery in Israel, or in Egypt, pardon me, and, uh, and so God said, I'm going to rescue Israel from slavery. They've been in slavery for over 400 years, and they call out to God, God said, I'm going to rescue you, and he says, in order to do that, I'm going to use Moses to do that. He's going to lead you, but what I want you to do is I want you to kill a lamb, and I want you to put the blood on the door uh, post and then on the header piece, and if I see that, when I come over, when I see that, when I pass over your place, I will not kill the firstborn in your home. So all of Israel did that. Egypt didn't do that. And that was the last straw for Egypt when God was judged them by killing the firstborn of every home and actually even of their animals. They said, enough's enough. Israel, get out of here. And God saves Israel. Their salvation came because they placed their faith in God's mode of salvation at that point. And that's kind of a key thing throughout Scripture. It's always God saves based on faith. What happened, though, is the religious leaders, they started taking those things and they were commanded to remember them, not to remember them in a religious way so that by doing that remembrance you would somehow earn God's favor, which is what religion teaches, but that you would remember that it's faith in what God says that brings salvation. But they didn't do that. And they also stopped being the representatives of God to the world around, and they started pulling themselves back from the world. I didn't want to be defiled by the world. And a lot of times you see religious people doing that. I don't want to be around people who aren't religious because they might defile me. That's what's happening here. And so they're saying, I'm not going to go in and talk to the governor because it's Passover's coming. And I don't want to defile myself before Passover. Be like you not wanting to hang out with a neighbor who's not a Christian because you're going to go to church tomorrow. What? doesn't make sense. But that's what they're doing because that's what religion does. Anyways, free point. Don't worry about paying me for that. Therefore, Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So what they're saying, hey, trust us. You don't need to know what he did or what he's saying. Just trust us. Get rid of him. We don't want him around. So Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. And this is to fulfill, fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Now, this is a prediction that Jesus made. John 3, John 8, John 12... Jesus makes this prediction that, one, he was going to die for mankind. That through him, salvation would come to mankind. And not only that, but he would be lifted up. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But he'd be lifted up. Now, if, if the Jews were to kill him, they couldn't kill now because Rome was in control of them. But back in the day, how they would put a capital punishment... How they would do it is they would knock somebody down to the ground and then literally spring stones on them until they died. The different word, or different idea of being stoned, right? So that's how they would be killing him, but he's going to be lifted up. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? So in other words, Jesus is saying, Do you believe that I'm the Jewish king? Because if he, was, if he did believe that, Jesus was, probably would say no. Because at this time, Jesus wasn't setting up an earthly kingdom. He, he was uh, 
Pilate didn't need to be concerned about this. He wasn't going to go up against Pilate or Caesar or Rome at all. He wasn't going to cause trouble. Or did others tell you about me? In other words, did the Jewish leaders tell you about me? Because if, if you're asking on their behalf, then I'm going to say yes, <laughs> because I am the Messiah. I am Israel's king, and I am doing something, setting up a kingdom, which we'll, he'll talk about here. Pilate answered, so I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priest deliver you to me. What have you done? So he said, I don't care. I'm not asking for me. I'm just trying to figure out what they're saying about you. So then he says, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are king. You are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And you can kind of see Jesus saying, anyone who hears my voice, Pilate, you know, kind of even throwing out maybe a little bit, hey, if you want to talk more about this, I've got some time. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Now, if you go on and read, you know what's happened, that Jesus is eventually put on the cross, just like he predicted would happen. Ultimately, it was what Jesus tells us in John 10, I believe, where he says, I offered myself up. So it's not that Rome somehow got control over God, uh, but Jesus, as God, gave himself up for us. But Pilate questions whether anyone can really know the truth. And isn't that what we have in our world today? Nobody seems to understand what the truth is. Or maybe this, it's more like everybody has their own truth. Everyone's following their own experts. Everyone's following whatever they think sounds good or something that's, you know, maybe more to their liking. Everyone's searching for truth. But Jesus says, I came to testify to truth. And here's the deal. If you want to know truth, you have to know the one who is truth. We're going to talk about two overriding truths. And if you get those two right, everything else, all the rest of truth in life filters down. And you begin to understand what is truth, what is true, what is the true way to live life. But it starts with knowing the one who is truth. So what is the truth that Jesus is testifying to? That is the question in front of us this morning. Again, there's two overriding truths. It's, you know, we're going to look mainly at John, but this is throughout all the Gospels and the, New, and the rest of the New Testament. So the first one is that Jesus is God. Overriding truth that Jesus is testifying to that he is God. Now, I'm not going to read all these verses, all right? We don't have that kind of time this morning. I, I could work overtime. I get paid by the word for those of you that don't know. So uh, sometimes I like to go two hours because I might have some extra bills coming this week, uh, but I won't this morning. Um, I'm just kidding. Don't leave saying, do you know they pay that pastor by, so he's like, peace, you know, peace work. He does peace work. No, I, I'm not going to read all these. I'm just going to refer to them. 
One of the reasons for that is this. So, and I've referenced this numerous times, and I'll continue to bring this up. 70%, there was a study um, done, 70% of people who go to church, regularly go to church, say that they seldom or never read the Bible during the week. So, I'm giving you an opportunity <laughs> with these verses. If you're like, man, you know, I'm one of those people, and I really know what, I don't know what to, I don't know what to read. Well, take these verses right here and just read these during the week. And ask God to teach you and help you understand. Okay, so I'm helping you out. You're welcome. But 20 times, God called, or Jesus called God, my father. When he does that, he's claiming God's authority. In Jewish culture, a son would go into business with his dad, and then he would go out and represent his dad. And it was as if his dad was making the same deals. The son had the father's authority. So the Jewish leaders knew that when he said, God's my father, not only did he shock them because Jewish people didn't use God's name for fear of saying it wrong and making him angry and being judged, they certainly didn't say father and hear God, Jesus is saying, my father, taking his authority. John 8, 59, he took God's name, I am. He's referring uh, back to Abraham even, he says, uh, before Abraham was, I am. When he does that, he's taking the name, the, the, the personal name that God gave to Israel. Exodus 3, Moses is like, hey, who, who should I say is sending me? Uh, when Israel asks, hey, what do you mean you're gonna, God's going to save us? Who's this God? Tell them I am is going to save them. The eternally self-existing one. In other words, the only God that really exists. All other gods are fake, are false, man-made. I am the only one true God. Jesus takes that name for himself. John 10, he claims, I and the Father are one. Now at this point, each of these makes the religious leaders angry. At this point, they pick up stones, and they want to throw it at him. They want to stone him to death, but he, he escapes. In John 14, he says, to see Jesus is to see God. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God is like? Read the Gospels, because Jesus lived out who God is in front of us. And then, of course, here in John 18, he says, I'm the king of heaven. So Jesus says, I'm testifying to the fact that I am God. The second one is that Jesus is Savior of the world. In John 3, there's one of the times where he said, I will be lifted up and draw people to me for salvation. Lifted up, a, a prediction that he was going to be put up on a cross, which ends up happening. He says in John 6 that I'm the bread who came down from heaven to give life. He was talking about Israel in the desert and manna that came down to give them life. And he says, I'm the one who's come down. I'm the bread that's come down to give life, speaking of eternal life. Then he goes on and demonstrates that by feeding 5,000 people, trying to get them to connect with the fact that he is he's God, the God who is of the Old Testament. John 12, again, he talks about being lifted up. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Those are just a few of the times that Jesus references the fact that he is God or that he is the Savior. And in 14.6, Jesus makes it very clear to us that there needs to be a response here. That if a person wants to know who God is, if a person wants to be right with God, if a person wants access to God, they can only come through Jesus. It's not come through religion. It's not come through some other person. It's not come through your own personal definition of what you think salvation is or should be, what sounds good. It's through Jesus himself. He's the way. He's the truth. And he's the life. The truth is Jesus is God. The truth is Jesus is the Savior of the world. Truth is truth. And you can, we could be here this morning and we say, well, I don't know if I believe it. Okay, that's fine. But truth is truth. And are you going to bet on that? That Jesus isn't telling the truth. The Jewish religious leaders, they rejected the truth. I mean, they rejected it so bad that they were willing to tell lies about Jesus and say that he was, if you read later on into John 19, they were saying that, hey, uh, I think Luke 23 talks about it too, that, that, hey, this guy is trying to, you know, go up against uh, Caesar, go up against Rome. He's an insurrectionist. He's telling people, don't pay your taxes, which obviously we know, AJ just talked about it a couple weeks ago, that he said, give the Caesar what Caesar, pay your taxes, but they take it, they twist it. They rejected him. Jesus says in John 5, man, I, I've given you testimony after testimony. In a Jewish culture, you had to have uh, two people testify to something being true. And he goes, I've given you that. John the Baptist has testified that I'm true. More than that, God has testified himself by the miracles that I've done. The miracles that I do, do are, are only those that God could do. Old Testament says that. Only God can Make the, the blind see and the lame to walk. And Jesus came and did that. And then he even says to them, you guys think a lot about Moses, but by rejecting me, you're rejecting Moses. Moses talked about me. The first five books of the Old Testament, you could see Jesus and the prediction of someone who's going to come and save mankind throughout all of the Old Testament, the, the first five books speaking of specifically with Moses. But then in, in uh, Deuteronomy 18, Moses says there's going to be a prophet, one like me, who will come. And Jesus is saying, I'm the one. Just like he brought manna down, I brought food. I brought bread. But ultimately, I am the bread of life. But they reject him. They chose to, to stick with believing the wrong definition that they themselves created for who God was and the salvation that he offered. Pilate was indifferent Right? I mean, if you read the story, if you do it this week, you'll see he's just really indifferent. Jesus is just kind of a gnat right now. He, he woke up early. He's got to decide whether this guy should die or not. He can't find anything really wrong. He hasn't done anything against Rome that would determine that he needs to die on a cross. And he just wants Jesus out. In fact, he tried to get Jesus freed numerous times. But then Israel, the, the, the religious leaders say to him, hey, listen, we're going to tell Caesar on you. We're going to let Caesar know that you're siding with a guy who's an insurrectionist. And he's going, to be, he's going to be mad and take your power away. Well, you know, he's a pragmatist, right? He doesn't want his power taken. So he follows through and lets Jesus 
die on a cross. I mean, after all, Jesus was just like every other guy who comes along and says he has some sort of truth about the end times and about a relationship with God. We have Greek gods, we have Roman gods, we have all sorts of different things. Jesus is just one of those kinds of people. I think we're going to stay here for a while. Wow. That's some strong wind. I think God's just trying to get your attention. So Pilate was indifferent, but in being indifferent, he rejected who Jesus was. The disciples, on the other hand, they were the ones who believed what Jesus said, and they were the ones through whom he changed the world. That's the difference. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're dead and gone. Rome, Pilate, dead and gone. The disciples, in a sense, still live today. Because those of us who place our faith in Christ, we are the disciples. We are the ones who follow Christ. We are the ones through whom he wants to continue to change the world and bring the truth to a world that desperately needs him. So let me ask you this. What's your response to Jesus' claim? Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, you might think, oh, good, I, this is where I can just kind of sit back and relax. He's going to talk to those who are not Christians. No, not going to do that. Because this has impact for both Christians and non-Christians. And so if you're here this morning and you say, I've placed my faith in Christ, and I know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven one day. If you believe that, if you truly believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and that one day when your physical body dies, he's going to stay, take your spirit to heaven then whatever you face in this life, whatever struggle you come across in this life, whatever challenge you have in this life, you have to believe that his way of meeting that challenge, of responding to that situation, is the right way to do it. But we have some who, for whatever reason, and a lot of times it's just, just not knowing. Not, they're newer, maybe newer believers. And they just don't know. That when they, when they face life, the tendency is to go back to what you know and they, and they begin to spin out of control. Well, what we're talking about today, the truth of who Jesus is, impacts a Christian's life. And if you're here this morning and you're, you're not a believer, if you're checking out Christianity and you're wondering, hey, is this stuff true? Then you need to respond to that point of salvation, that point of relationship with God through faith in Christ. Is that true? Is that something that is something you can put your faith into? We do uh, takeaways every week, and I, I heard from one of the guys in the band that they were ready to come up, because usually I say, well, you have a band come up while I do takeaways. The last couple of weeks I've kind of expanded my takeaways. That's what's happening. So band, don't come rushing up on me just yet. Um, Got just three takeaways, and, and I want to kind of expand a little bit on them as we go along. So the takeaways is, what's your response to the truth? So pretty simple. But the, the first one is this. Let me challenge you. Don't be indifferent to the truth. If you're indifferent to the truth, it's as if you're rejecting the truth. The religious leaders rejected Jesus. They wanted to stick with their religion. Um, Pilate rejected Jesus ultimately because he was indifferent to him. He thought you couldn't even know the truth. If you're a Christian here this morning, 
and you've placed your faith in Christ, then the life that he calls you to live, the, the life, uh, the wisdom that he gives on how to do life is the life that you're to live. Don't be indifferent. Say, well, no, it doesn't really matter. Certainly don't reject it. No, nah, I, I think I got a better way of doing it because it doesn't work. The reason why we mess up our lives is because we're using our decisions and that's what's messing up our lives. So Christians, don't be indifferent to the truth that Jesus is God and that he's your savior. He's a savior for eternity, but he's also a savior from messing your life up here on earth. And if you're not a believer, if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, do that. Take that step of faith. Say, I, I realize I'm a sinner, I'm separated from God, and, I, and now I hear this information, I want to take a step of faith and I want to... I want God to forgive me my sins. God, please forgive me my sins. I'm trusting in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. If you're not there yet, then let me challenge you with a second one. And that's this. Seek the truth. Get into the Bible and search for the truth. If you're a Christian and you're like, well, I'm not really sure how I'm supposed to respond to this situation or that situation, get into the Bible. Start reading the Bible. Start studying the Bible. Start looking at it and let all that information as you... Um, read it and study it, all that information starts becoming wisdom and you start understanding what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to operate. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. This, our church family is here for you to do that. We're all walking through life together. We're all trying to figure things out and encouraging each other. And so you need your church family. We've got our grow class coming up. Dave mentioned it's this Saturday at nine in the morning. We've got four people so far signed up for it. Uh, so you won't be alone if, you, if you're thinking, I'd like to sign up for that. But this grow class, one of the things that we do, we spend a lot of time talking about how do you go through the Bible and read it for understanding? What are some practical tools that you can use? We're going to talk about that. And so we offer that class, and I encourage you to sign up and do that at the Information Center. But seek the truth. If you're not a believer, then get into the Bible and read it. Take the Gospel of John and begin reading through the Gospel of John. Let Jesus talk about who he is and let God, if there is a God, and I believe there is, but let God reveal himself to you. Let the truth, let him tell you what the truth is. And you have interaction with him. You talk to him. We call it prayer, but you know, it's just really having a conversation with God. I'm always available to answer questions and help you talk through stuff. I won't necessarily give you the answer every time. Because I want you reading it from God's Word and knowing the answer. But get into the Bible. And if you're thinking, well, I don't even know if the Bible is inspired. That's fine. Don't worry about that. But if you read the Bible, you're reading the most um, unique book in all of literature. 1500, uh, 1,500 years, the span of writing, 1,500 years, 40-plus authors, uh, kings, Peasants, doctors, fishermen, different authors from different places in uh, society writing, and it's a unified message from Genesis to Revelation. It's the most unique book to ever be written. Whether you believe it's inspired or not, it is the most unique book. And what a, what a great thing to have that on your bucket list. Yeah, I've read, I've read the Bible. And if God's real, which I believe he is, He'll begin conversing with you, giving you understanding, giving you insight. And then the last one, 
is this. Know what's truth. Put it to the test. When I say no, the, Bible, the Bible's word for no, there's several different ones, but um, specifically the one I'm thinking of is this idea of knowing something personally, experientially. So it's like this. So, and, I, and again, I threw up this little thing. I, I, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but information plus faith plus experience lets us know if something is true or false. So you're a kid, you're in science class, the teacher starts talking about the law of gravity. You're like, I don't believe in the law of gravity. That sounds silly. Well, it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. The fact of the matter, it's, it's a law. It's true. It's going to happen. And so he starts talking about if anything's heavier than air, it's gonna, you throw it up, it's going to come down. And so you're thinking, well, what's the lightest thing? A feather. Okay, so you throw a feather up, and what happens? It comes down. Well, yeah, oh, helium, in a, you know, helium in a balloon. Okay, great. Eventually, helium goes away, and then the balloon comes down because it's heavier than air. There's gravity pulling us down. You can believe what you want to believe, but the fact that you're not floating off into space is demonstration that there's the law of gravity. It's true. So how does that pertain to being to, to a spiritual realm? Same, a little different, but pretty much the same. And here's the deal. As a Christian, you've been given information in the Bible. And the information is, do life this way, not for salvation, but because you're saved. Represent me, show me to others, let me glorify myself through you. This is how you do life, and it's the best life possible for you to live. It's the safest, if you want to put it that way. It's the way I can work in and through you. So that's the information. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. I use it a lot. That God promises us, the information, God promises us uh, peace. So don't be anxious for anything, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that passes all comprehension will guard your heart and heart and soul in Christ Jesus. Okay, so that's the information. How do I know that's true? I had to take a step of faith and actually not be anxious. How? By praying and making my requests known to God, thanking Him for whatever it is I'm going through, and then I'm going to experience the peace, and now I know that the verse is true. You can have the information, but you'll never know if it's true if you don't take a step of faith and if you don't experience it in your life. And a lot of Christians are struggling with that. They hear the information like, eh, I think there's a better way. And they don't know if it's true or not. If you're not a Christian, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, if you tried to get to God some other way, you're hearing now, maybe for the first time, maybe multiple times in your life, that, that Jesus was the one who made sure that you have a way to God, that he was the one who did all the work that you're trying to do, but he did the work when he died on the cross. And he paid your eternal penalty for your sin on, when he died on the cross. And he rose again and defeated sin and death. So you have that information. But you don't know if it's true yet or not. So this is a little bit trickier. Because what you have to do is you have to take a step of faith. You're like, I'm not really sure. I don't know if I even understand all of it. Don't worry if you don't understand all of it. We're still learning. We who have been Christians for a long time even are still learning about what this means. So you say, take a step of faith. God, I... I'm going to take a step of faith here. Lord, please forgive me of my sins, and I'm, I'm placing my faith in Christ, in Christ alone for my salvation. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and, and save me. 
And then the experience, the truth of that comes as you begin to read the Bible, have conversations with God, start doing life God's way, and then you'll see, oh man, God is real. God is doing some neat things. There's some things happening in my life that I never thought could happen before, and they're actually happening because God's at work in my life. Again, a little trickier, a little maybe even scarier, but one well worth the step of faith. We can't know something is true until we take a step of faith and experience it in our lives. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and as we typically do, we close in a word or a song, and we do this just to be able to allow us to spend some time thinking about um, what we've just heard, allow you to take some time maybe to do some business with God, have a conversation with God, or make a commitment to God, uh, something that you need to do, my next step that I need to do in order to move forward. And so I would encourage you to do that. Think of these three things. Pick one out that you need to work on. Ask God to help you work through that. Let me go ahead and pray, and then the band will close us. Heavenly Father,